the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars, because the Bible is both timely and timeless. With her master's degree in rhetoric and writing skills, Wendy is a part-time college professor, but a full-time truth professor. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation, the true church rapture comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ's millennial domination and his eternal kingdom with earth's regeneration. Jesus is coming without hesitation. And now, here's Wendy with today's topic. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me again with Season Watch. And of course, as always, let's start in prayer. Well, Lord Jesus, we see so many things happening around us that are confusing and maybe a little daunting. And we hear just rumors of so many things coming, but we also are experiencing blessings at your hand, Lord, and we want to thank you for those blessings and remind ourselves, God, that you are always with us. We just uh, commit our concerns to you. We cast our cares upon you because you care for us. We ask you to answer our prayers in due season so that we can walk with you in confidence and help us to read the word and just dedicate so much of our heart to you that we're overflowing to those around us. So we just thank you, Lord. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, hi, friends. I want to remind you to please email me any questions you might have concerning how to answer certain questions from skeptics. We all run into those people that uh, have raised questions. We're not even sure what to say to them. And um, we have to remember that there's still a lot of world views out there and a lot of reasons people have in their minds for why they don't accept Jesus. But many people just haven't heard the simple gospel, especially the Gen X. I mean, Gen Z. I'm Gen X. <laughs> Gen Z, they've been kept from hearing the truth uh, by our institutions, by the government and by uh, schools and colleges. And just the world culture just wants to mock uh, our beliefs and, and really tell lies about us. And so we have to get that simple gospel into their ears, and they can decide. And um, many others hold ideas that they themselves have not really evaluated. Lots of times I'll talk to people and I'll raise a question, and you can tell they hadn't really thought it through before, and they, they see a conflict there. So we can be that voice of love and reason that helps them to reevaluate their views. I've seen many people change their thinking right in front of me because of something I said that rang true. And how's that? That's because of the Holy Spirit. When we work with God and we give ourselves over to Him, that we listen to Him and be guided by Him, he speaks through us. It's true. I've seen it. I've said things that I wasn't planning to say at all, and it's just what that person needed to hear. And so, Lord, uh, we just pray for you to be with us and uh, direct our steps in these things. So <clears throat> we've been trained by the God of this culture not to ask questions that might offend people, but how will people even know the truth if we aren't willing to share it, right? So Satan has set his own rules. He's a, a liar, and for him— 
right is wrong and wrong is right. And somehow he's convinced our culture to accept this deviant morality. It's worse to offend someone than to tell them the truth. How, how did we get there where we, we, he actually gets us to accept this? But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, right? So we have to be that faithful witness so that his little lambs can hear the truth. They just need to hear it. He takes it from there. People can say yes, they can say no. The point is to say it in love, right? And we know that it's the truth that makes us free. Nothing else does. Everything outside the truth is a lie and gives power for control to the father of lies. We don't want that, right? Second Peter 2 says, in verse, uh, starting in verse 2, that many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption for whom a man is overcome of the same he is brought into bondage. And that's what these lies do. They bring us into bondage. They promise, oh, you'll have all this freedom. Don't listen to those people. Uh, but we must prepare to give an answer for our faith in love and wisdom. And as Second Timothy 2 explains, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patience in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Isn't that the sneaky guy who takes us, right? He he lies to us, and it's the truth that sets us free, and that if we say the truth, the truth is faithful to help us uh, come to our senses and escape the snare of the devil. We're taken captive by him, by poor thinking that we simply don't reevaluate. And so let's us prepare as the Lord leads us to answer questions with truth, with wisdom by the Holy Spirit, that no one will be able to dispute. I see the dumb looks on people's faces when I just raise one simple question. They don't even know how to answer it because they haven't thought it through. And I tell you, these challenging questions in truth and in love and they cause people to think, and God plants a seed. And there's still millions of people out there who will come to faith if we are faithful to open our mouths. That's what he asks of us. And we want them to see the truth before the tribulation and join in spreading the simple gospel to the lost and dying world, right? We don't want them to come to faith after. You know, these same people, they probably will come to faith. We'd like it to be before, right? So anyway, please email me any questions or situations that you've encountered, and I'll start addressing them in coming episodes. You know, we all have family, friends, and coworkers who hold reasons in their mind for not considering or accepting the gospel. But there are good answers and good resources for these questions. Uh, Just be willing, and God will use you to plant a supernatural seed that will accomplish his purpose. It will. So you can email me those questions uh, at wscott at mywordsforhim.com wscott at mywordsforhim.com. You can go to my uh, webpage, my Season Watch webpage on on uh, Praise if you'd like, and you could just click on the link and email me directly. But let's prepare our hearts in sincerity to be about the Lord's business, right? Nothing's more important to him than saving a soul. But he asks us to partner in that work. He doesn't do it by himself, and that's that's no fun for him. And as we've been saying, time is short. The days are evil, and the prince of this world is locking his plans into place. 
to hear more discussion on the coming one world government we've talked about in previous episodes, go to my previous episodes on the KPRAISE uh, website uh, for Season Watch. And then you can hear what these global leaders have been planning for about 100 years now. And now these global elites recently announced that in 2023, that 2023 is year one of the new world order. They're just saying it. So they obviously know something, right? Uh, that the sleeping world is not paying attention to. They all seem to be in on it and that the systems are locking into place for a complete control grid, right? And we would expect to see these things being set up before the rapture so that when the rapture happens, the rest of the population is already locked into the control system, right? It makes sense. It, Satan would want it to be set in. He knows how to watch the times. He's, he's read the Bible. He knows that once the fig tree buds, which is Israel, that generation shall not pass away. And we're noticing how strange it is that all the global elites, the Klaus Schwabs and the, and, uh, you know, the administration and all these people that are in charge right now, uh, they're all from that generation of 1948. And uh, he knows. So he He knows his time is short, and Satan's been planning this global coup for a long time, and God's going to let him do it, but only to those who reject Jesus ahead of time, right? That won't be us. God sets a difference between the righteous and the unrighteous, as we will see today. So, friends, uh, fasten your truth belts as we talk about the tipping point, a spiritual point of no return. Oh, my gosh. No, we don't want it. So in the last episode, we looked at Genesis 18 at the interesting discussion that Abraham had with the Lord, who was sending angels into Sodom to see if the wickedness was as bad as the outcry. And Abraham, being concerned for his nephew Lot, anxiously contended with the Lord to preserve the whole city if enough righteous people were found there, saying, Far be it, in verse 25, 1825, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of the whole earth do righteously. Wasn't he really concerned? You hear the angst in his voice. And um, and he proceeded to bargain with God to preserve the whole city if 50 righteous were found there, right? It's a big metropolis. <clears throat> then he said, okay, what about 45? And then what about 40? And he was like, okay, Lord, don't be angry. What about 30? What about 20? Finally got him down to 10, right? And at each stage, the Lord agreed. Yes, he would preserve the city for the sake of the righteous until he gave his word that he would preserve the whole city if he could find even just 10 righteous people. What an interesting discussion that the Bible records. And Abraham seemed satisfied with this promise, probably because he thought that between Lot and his family and perhaps a few others, there were certainly at least 10 righteous people in that large metropolis, right? Uh, So we also discussed how remarkable it was that God apparently agreed with Abraham that the whole city could be saved on account of this remnant of faithful people. This revealed the first part of what appears to be a spiritual principle, that if there are enough people left that can influence a population, then the whole population will be preserved for the work of the Lord to move forward, right? So then uh, what do we actually find when we look at Genesis chapter 19, which is when the angels go into Lot? And many of you may remember this. We're going to look at the specific language. So we're going to actually go through this quickly, starting at uh, verse 1. Now the two angels went to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now it's important. We'll get back to that. 
When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the ground. And then, verse 2, he asked them to stay with him. They said that they want to stay in the street. And he's like, oh, no, don't do that. That's terrible. He strongly insisted that they turned in, and they entered into his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Yummy. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. Wow. So this is at night. You picture the torches and everything. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came into you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. All the men of the city. This is horrifying. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren— that's a compliment. Huh? Do not so wickedly. See, I have two daughters, right? So he offers his daughters, do whatever you want with them. That's terrible. Um, verse 9, and they said, stand back. And they said, this one fellow came into sojourn, and he keeps acting like a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and came near to breaking down the door. But the men reached out their hands, the angels, and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary, trying to even find the door. All right, so you see the accusation here. This sojourner, right, because he wasn't among them. In fact, he was supposed to stay in uh, the great, right? So he and Abraham separated their flocks, and Abraham said, you could take the best part of the valley. He took the green valley. Uh, Lot took the green valley for his, his flocks, to feed his flocks, because there were so many. And uh, Abraham very graciously gave him the best part, said, you can have this territory. But now we find him in the city of Sodom. In fact, Abraham already had to rescue him when the kings came and took over Sodom. And so um, this has been trouble from the beginning. And there he stands, and he's at, sitting at a, as a judge. And the judge, um, anybody who sits in the gate of the city in these old times was considered the judge. A lot of business was done there. So disputes could be settled by going to the man who sat at the gate. So he was apparently revered. And yet now we see that he, they accuse him of being a judge uh, among them. So we'll get back to this. Um, so then the, the men or the angels said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-law, sons, your daughters, whoever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out, and he spoke to his sons-in-laws. He could not convince them. They would not come. And so when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here with you, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And we talked about this in a previous episode, that God does not call uh, his righteous to endure through his punishment. We endure all kinds of punishment. Uh, and and trials and tribulation at the hands of a, a sinful world, a sin-fallen world, but not to endure through his punishment. And so the angels tell him quite clearly that you have to take them out lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. Verse 16, and while he lingered, the men took a hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being gracious to him, and they brought him out of the city and set him outside the city. So look at that. And then they said in verse 22, hurry, escape. From here, for we cannot do anything until you go. 
Isn't that amazing? They cannot. They were withheld from destroying the city until they were out of danger. That is how God treats the righteous. And we see this as a a symbol or sort of a type also for the rapture, same as we talked about before, the same type as with the ark, that, that God did not cause Noah to be in the flood, but he prepared an escape for him out of the flood. And so we see this many times through the Bible. And of course, Jesus himself, as we went through in the previous episode, he also pointed out, just like Lot, just like with Noah, um, God preserves his righteous and takes them out of the way of his judgment. And so uh, verse 24, then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew the cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and everything that grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him as she became a pillar of salt. And when Abraham woke up early in the morning, the place where he had stood before the Lord, then he looked down on Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the plain. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like a smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that he remembered Abraham. Isn't that nice? And sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. And so we see that's very interesting. We see that uh, we all know the story of Lot's wife turning around, becoming a pillar of salt. When I was a child, I was like, oh no, she's just like looking around. But um, you see a principle here that she actually was longing for the city. And when we really look at it, whether we hear later what the daughters did to get Lot to sleep with them, um, we're, we're seeing only Lot, only Lot was the righteous person, the only righteous person in the city. Clearly his wife was not on board. Clearly his wife did not have the same righteousness that she maybe was even the one that said, hey, let's go live in that city where all the fine, pretty things are, right? Um, and there they were. And she longed for the city. I bet all of her friends were there. Her clubs were there and where she socialized. She longed for it. And we see the same thing when Israel is brought out of Egypt. They longed for it. And they go, why can't we just go back and be slaves in Egypt where we had plenty to eat and, uh, you know, where things were what we expected. And so there's this human condition. First of all, we see that she longed for it. <laughs> they were gracious and took her out, but she really wasn't among them. And the daughters, you know, what can you say about those daughters? Uh, the whole thing's an absolute mess. And then, of course, verse 29, we saw that Abraham, God remembered Abraham, um, and he he preserved Lot. So, again, that's a reminder for us to contend with the Lord for the souls of those in our life who don't know him, who haven't accepted him, because he does honor us. He honors our prayers. Don't give up. Please don't give up. I know you're thinking of somebody right now where you're like, oh, my gosh, they'll never come to the Lord. Well, you don't know uh, what little seed is sprouting under the surface of the soil, right? So keep contending for them in prayer. And so um, out of the story, we see other important uh, concepts from this event. First of all, we see, as we said before, Lot sat in the gate, and he'd actually become a judge among them. He was actually seen and perceived as a judge, and he was apparently trusted. He settled disputes with integrity, and he was well-known. So up until this point, he apparently had a place of respect in the city. He wasn't just a nobody, right? But then the wickedness became so great that it has a tipping point. Uh, It was probably instigated by the mysterious men coming into the city. Everybody saw that. All the men of the city came, and they came to rape those men that had come into the city. 
It's likely Sodom's depravity had gotten so far that the sheer purity of the angels drove them to want to defile them, right? There's something pure, and they wanted to own it, possess it, overcome it. And, you know, that's a satanic impulse. Satan likely knew who they were, um, you know, and that even though you can entertain angels unaware, according to Hebrews, um, that... Something about these men was too much and that this was also a culture of the city, raping other men. And so if we think about the child trafficking we have today, it goes under the surface. I've heard reports from uh, police officers and special units who have said that, you know, that beautiful cul-de-sac that you think is full of the rich elite, that that is a hotbed of trafficking. And it happens under the surface. And when it's under the surface, uh, we just go on our merry way, not understanding how depraved uh, our underculture has become. But there's a point where it boils to the surface and it doesn't want to be hid anymore. It wants to be recognized. It wants to be open. And that's this moment that we're seeing. And so once the populace realize that the wicked far outnumbered the righteous, they no longer needed to tolerate Lot's righteous voice of judgment, right? They used to go to him and go, yeah, this guy, he's, you know, he's kind of got these quirky ideas about right and wrong, but, you know, you could trust him. And, and they tolerated it and they respected it. But now, as they gathered completely around his house, from the smallest to the greatest, the youngest to the oldest, you could see they were all recognizing, oh, my gosh, there's more of us than them. We don't have to listen to them anymore. So they crossed this tipping point, and there was no going back. Once it was out in the open, it was no longer necessary to put on a facade of good because they could see in each other's eyes, we are in charge. There's more of us than there are of them. Therefore, God's only righteous representative no longer had an effect to turn them away from their sin. They didn't have to listen to him anymore. And so God took Lot out and destroyed the wicked city to judge its lawlessness. And so we want, we want to ask, is this something that we're seeing today, this tipping point of going back the other way? Um, if we look at generations later, God lists his accusations against his beloved Jerusalem. This is, you know, long after that it had become a kingdom, and he was about to judge Jerusalem. And he speaks about this in Ezekiel of why he does this, especially in chapter 16. It's really interesting how he characterizes it. Um, and so he had been very, very patient and warned Jerusalem and, and the kingdom of Judah a very long time. They were supposed to be the true followers because the kingdom of Israel had, had long since, those ten tribes had long since gone uh, away from the Lord. Um, and he'd warned them for so long. But here's how he characterizes their sins. I find it very intriguing. Ezekiel, we'll look at 16, uh, verse 20. Moreover, you have taken your sons and your daughters, who you have borne to me, and these you have sacrificed unto them to be devoured. Is this of thy whoredoms a small matter that you have slain my children and delivered them to cause them to pass through the fire for them, right, for their idols, right? So this is the fire of Molech or the, the fire where they sacrifice their own children, Uh, Verse 36, thus says the Lord God, because your filthiness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your harlotry with your lovers, meaning other idols, and with all your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children, which you gave to them, it's so evil, so wicked. 
And uh, I will judge you as a woman who breaks wedlock or who sheds blood is judged. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. And then verse 48, as I live, says the Lord, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. What? He's comparing Jerusalem, the holy city, to Sodom, who was overthrown way back in Genesis. And he's saying that you're worse than Sodom. And he says in verse 49, behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. And he's comparing holy Jerusalem. They have degraded and digressed and and become so retrograde in his mind that they were irretrievable. He had already taken out the best of Jerusalem and sent them into captivity. That was the wave that went out with Daniel and his princes, sent them out to keep them safe. And now he's about to judge Jerusalem. And this is the indictment against him. He compares them to Sodom, that they've gotten that bad. And so we must evaluate our own cultural condition right now. So for a long time, the gospel went out and spread around the world and wherever it went. Hope, faith, and conditions improved. And then for a time, uh, we saw falling away. Now, when we look at where our culture is, we see that it's in decline, right? That the, the gospel is no longer going out and changing the world, but it's now being shrinking, right? And we're seeing the depravity come to the surface like never before. It's just like in Romans where their conscience is sears and he gives them over to their vile affections. Aren't we seeing this more and more? And so we have to recognize we are at that tipping point. I challenge you, evaluate for yourself that he talks about that the futile hearts of their thoughts and their foolish hearts are darkened, that God gave them over to their uncleanness. And this is what we're seeing. And yet God gives us hope in the Lord Jesus. And I ask you, friends, today, make sure not only that you are trusted in his care, that you are prepared for his return but that you prepare yourself to share with others to take them out of this dark and dying world and make sure God has preserved them, right? That's our only duty that he asks of us. And uh, isn't he worthy? So until next time, I just pray God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.